to see all of you here today. Um, Brittany said at the beginning you all were looking good, and I, I'm assuming she was talking about a couple of you, but, you know, some of you, I, know, I mean, Larry Jaggers is here, so, I mean, really, how good? No, 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 Larry, Larry Brown, not, not, not Larry Sr. So, see, that's a two-for-one there. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Hey, we're in this, our series, The Gospel of Mark, and we're in part three of it, and so uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter three, and, and like I told you at the very beginning of this series, um, our goal in this series is just to work through some important passages in the Gospel of Mark. It's going to take us all the way up to Easter. Of course, uh, the Gospel of Mark, it ends with the, the resurrection of Jesus, and so that's where on Easter Sunday, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about the resurrection of, of Jesus, because, you know, it's Easter, so um, so that's where we're heading, but today we're in Mark chapter 3. Let me ask you, who have you bumped into lately? I mean, think just for a minute about the multitude of people, strangers, acquaintances, uh, people that you know, who, whose paths that you have crossed this week. I mean, maybe it was the server behind uh, the counter at your favorite coffee shop, maybe the mechanic who, who worked on your car this week, the lab partner that you got stuck with in biology, the receptionist in your office building, the, the, the quirky Characters that you see in, in doctors' waiting rooms. Uh, the parents that you make small talk with at, at the ball field. Who, who have you bumped into? There's a 2009 book that suggests that these everyday people, these unremarkable encounters, can have a profound effect on, on our health and on our happiness, on our success in life. The, the book is entitled, Consequential Strangers. Consequential Strangers, the power of people who don't seem to matter but really do. The, the author in this book, she documents all the ways that strangers and, and acquaintances can affect our lives. How just a, a friendly greeting can, can change the outlook of your day. How a simple service that somebody offers uh, can improve the quality of our lives. How a casual conversation can lead to a new job or, or even a new romance. How, how someone from another ethnicity or, or societal class can expand your horizons. And even how a fender bender can prompt the next step in a spiritual journey. In the scripture that we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 3, we're going to meet one of these consequential strangers. Someone who, who really didn't seem to matter to anyone, except for Jesus. And before we, we dive into the scripture here, I'd, I'd like for you just to think about, again, the, the people that you run into on a weekly basis. The, the consequential strangers, or maybe, hopefully by the end of this, they'll be consequential strangers, but maybe in your mind right now, they're just inconsequential strangers. I'd like for you to have maybe two or three people in your mind that I'm describing, who, who just are a part of your everyday world, who, who you may not even really notice. And what I'd like for us to do today is to learn from Jesus what it might mean to do good to people like that. What impact it might have on their lives and also ours. Let's look at the scripture. Mark chapter 3, we're going to be in the uh, verse 1 through 6. It says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a withered hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, and he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and they began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. That seems like a pretty harsh reaction, doesn't it? 
Jesus says, stretch out your hand to a guy, and his hand is healed, and people want to kill him. That seems like, wow, there's a big jump there, right? What happened there that would cause people to say, hey, he just healed somebody, now we've got to kill him. What would be so bad about this healing that would cause somebody to, to react like that? Well, I think in order to appreciate the story, we've got to understand that, that keeping the Sabbath, and remember, this happened on the Sabbath day, that keeping the Sabbath was the distinguishing mark of God's people. Of all the spiritual activities that a devout Jew might engage in, prayer and, and fasting and giving alms and observing all the holy days, the most common and the most obvious was the act of observing the Sabbath. It was a day for worship and, and rest, for being, not doing. Therefore, no work was allowed. And so as the story opens, Jesus is doing what every devout Jew would do that day. He's going to a worship service. He's attending the local synagogue. Now, before we, we move on with the story, I think it's just worth asking. What would be the most distinguishing mark of God's people today? I mean, if, if observing the Sabbath was the most distinguishing mark of, of a Jewish person in the first century, what would people, our culture, say about us? What would be the most distinguishing mark of God's people today? What's the most common and obvious feature of a person who lives the Christian life? Well, we would probably say it's going to church, right? I mean, that, that's what your neighbors probably think when, when they see you get up at, you know, at, at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning and pull out of the driveway for, for Sunday school. And they think, man, these people are crazy. They could be sleeping in today. And, and they're, they're pulling out and they're going to church. And then a couple hours later, they're coming back. And, and then there's Wednesday nights and small groups and, and youth group activities and just a ton of other things, right? There's all kinds of things that, that we're involved in. But is church and youth group attendance, Wednesday night attendance, Bible study attendance, is that really an accurate understanding of what Christianity is all about? I think a lot of people in our culture would say yes, right? If you go to church, that's what makes you a Christian. That's the defining mark. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the church that say, hey, if I go to church, that's what makes me a Christian. I got my check mark for today. I showed up. I'm good for the rest of the week, right? I'll come back next week and I'll get my next check mark. And at the end of the year, I'll get a little gold star for perfect attendance, right? Nobody has perfect attendance anymore, right? So that's what people, some people think. But is that what really Jesus had in mind when he told us to be salt and light of the world? Is that what Jesus meant when he said, go and make disciples? That you're just going to show up on a Sunday morning, you're going to show up on a Wednesday night, you're going to show up whenever it is that you're supposed to show up, and, and you're good? Is that what Jesus had in mind? Something to think about. Let's, let's move on with the story. The, the next thing we're, we're told is that there was a man in attendance that day with a withered hand. There, there's a man that shows up to the synagogue that day and he's got a withered hand. And chances are uh, he was there every Sabbath day. Remember, this is a local synagogue serving a small community. It's, it's, I doubt they had a, a visitor section in their parking lot you know, for first-time guests. This is, this is just a, a, an average synagogue and this guy probably shows up every week. He would have been doing what, what he did every Sabbath. And for the most part, it's probably the same people in the same pews, you know, in the same spot every week. He, he's, he's probably known there. Now, now, we're not told the details of the man's physical condition, whether this was a disability uh, that he'd had from birth, that he was, you know, he was born with, with a defective hand, or if this was the result of an accident or an injury that came later in life. But his condition is not a secret to anybody in the synagogue. It would have been obvious every time that the men lifted their hands in prayer, which was customary. You know, that, that was the, the customary tradition for them to lift their hands in prayer. It would have been obvious to everybody that this man had something wrong with his hand. 
Chances are, they had gotten so used to seeing this man that they didn't even notice him anymore. We're also told that Jesus' critics were there that day, the, the Pharisees. Now, Jesus had only been ministering for a short time, but he'd already made some enemies. It didn't take, long, didn't take Jesus long to make enemies. And these religious leaders who viewed Jesus as a threat to their way of life, they're looking for something to pin on him. They're thinking if we, can, if we can find some fault with him, we can get rid of him and we can end this thing that he's doing, whatever it is that he's doing, we're not even sure, but we want to end him because he's threatening our way of life. And so they're hoping that Jesus would heal this injured man so that they could accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. Because in their minds, healing was a work. He, healing was a work that they had decided, and so that was not allowed on the Sabbath day. Now, one exception to that, the law did uh, allow for exceptions in case of emergencies. But this wasn't an emergency. Um, we gather kind of from, from, from this text that this man had probably been living with this condition for a very long time. He certainly could have lived with it for another day. And so when Jesus asked this man to stand up there in front of everybody, I think the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders, they were probably licking their lips. They're, they're thinking, oh, he's fallen right into our trap. We've got him right where we want him right now. Which makes me ask this question too. Why did Jesus ask the man to stand up? I mean, Jesus tells him to stand up. Why ask him to stand up? Was he trying to embarrass the, the guy? No, he wasn't trying to embarrass the guy. He simply wanted people to see the man. Not just to see him, but, but to look at him, to, to pay attention to his condition, to think about his condition. I mean, think about how often they had seen this man, that they had, they had probably grown numb to the, man, to the fact that this man has a withered hand. They, they've gone numb to the fact that, that this man has some disability that has caused life to be difficult for him, and, and they don't have any interest in it. Think about this. How many people, again, do we come into contact with every day that we don't really see I mean I, I think about the ladies down at the gas station at the truck stop um, I've tried to to get to know them because I go in there every day I, I go in there and I get my my Reese's uh, cup for breakfast and and uh, yeah that's what I have for breakfast and, and I get my my sparkling ice water that's full of caffeine and and it doesn't have any calories or sugar in it, so it's, it's healthy, right? But, but it's full of caffeine. And so I go in there, and I get that every day. That, that's, my, that's my routine. And so the same ladies are in there every day. And so we've started striking up uh, just conversations. And, you know, they ask me about my kids, and I ask them about their, their jobs and their lives and, and what's going on. And, and they really have a pulse of what's going on in the community because they see everybody that comes through. And so we, we've just kind of struck up a relationship. But I wonder how long I could have gone through, through that truck stop. And, I, and every day, almost for the last four years, how long I could go in there without ever like taking the time to get to know them. Right? Because, because that's, they're, they're just, in our world, gas station attendants, right? They're, they're not consequential to my life. If, if they don't have a Reese's, guess what? I get a different candy bar. It's not the end of my world, right? It, it's... It's not a big deal. They don't provide a service that's life-changing for me. But yet there they are. People who matter to Jesus. People that need to be seen by somebody, right? How many people do we come into contact with every day that we don't ever actually see? Our paths just kind of cross. And we just kind of become numb to the people around us. 
Jesus had this man stand because he wants these people who have grown numb to this man's condition to see him, to pay attention to him, to, to see his condition and, and, and see what, what's, what's important to him. I, I think this probably made the other people st- sitting around there probably a little uncomfortable. When, when somebody calls out uh, something that's unusual about somebody else in front of other people, it makes us a little uncomfortable. And so I imagine as Jesus has this man stand up that, that some of the people there who are, who are picking up what's going on, they're probably getting a little nervous. They're probably getting a little squeamish in their seat. What's going to happen? I'm, I'm not really sure I like this. Can, can, I, you know, is it, can I sneak out the back door and go to the bathroom or something like that? You know, I'm, I'm looking for a reason to get out. But Jesus says, no, I want you to stand up because I want you to see this man. Jesus wants him to look. And at looking at the man, Jesus saw two things. The first thing that Jesus saw was the man's problem. The, the, this withered hand, it was a problem for this man. It made life more difficult for him. It made it difficult for him to make a living. It made it difficult for him to, to do some activities at his home and with his families. And, and because of the social and spiritual stigmas that came with having a disability, it probably limited him to, to really being an outcast, to being an outsider in his own community. While most people were looking the other way, Jesus is looking deeper. He's looking at the man's life experiences. He sees this man's problem. But that's not the only thing that Jesus sees about this man. He doesn't just see his problem. The second thing that Jesus sees is the man's potential. He recognizes that this man was created in the image of God to glorify God. That, now, that's not immediately obvious in this passage that we read, but if you read Matthew's account of this encounter, he includes some additional words that Jesus said. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said this, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, right? How much more valuable is a human than a sheep? The same encounter here. Jesus says this about a man. He says that he's more important than a sheep. If you had a sheep that fell into a well, you'd go. It wouldn't matter what day of the week it was. You'd go and you'd get him out, right? So how much more important is a person than an animal? Jesus saw everything that this man was meant to be and to do, and he wanted him to be able to do those things. He wanted to remove that disability and the stigma that went along with it. When when Jesus looked at people, he looked long enough to see their problem and their potential. What, what life was like for them and what life could be like for them if the kingdom of God were to come to them. On a very practical level, doing good begins right there. Seeing people as Jesus sees them. Do, doing good really is, is not about deeds, it's more about people. Doing good is not about following the rules, it's about relating to people in Christ-like ways. And that begins with seeing people. With actually seeing people, not just, you know, hey, I, I saw somebody, but no, I actually see them. I see their, I see their problems, but I also see their potential. In, in the movie The Soloist, um, Robert Downey Jr., he plays a, a news reporter who, who stumbles upon a homeless man who's playing the violin in one of the city parks. And at first, he's just kind of amused by the stranger. Um, he, he, notices the, he notices that this man is, is playing a violin, and, and he's obviously homeless, but you can tell by his clothes, his violin is not in good shape. But he notices eventually that the man is playing some pretty tough pieces of music to play. And he's playing it actually very well. And his violin has just got two strings, so I mean, this man has some talent. And so he goes over and he asks the man what his name is, and he finds out that his name is Nathaniel Ayers Jr. And so he keeps asking some questions, and he discovers that Nathaniel has talent, in fact, that he had studied at Juilliard. 
Nathaniel has a story, a, a mother who believed in him, a father who left home, and, and, and he's got voices in his head that he just can't seem to silence. But most importantly, he learns that Nathaniel has dignity. And what Nathaniel needs is friendship, not charity. The truth is, is that everyone that we meet has a name. Every person has a story. Every human being has talent and dignity and worth. There are no inconsequential strangers. If you don't hear anything else, hear that. There are no inconsequential strangers. Everyone matters. They matter to God. And, it, and, and if they matter to God, they should matter to us. And they will matter to us if we will take the time to see their problems, but also their potential. And understand this. This is not about feeling sorry for people, okay? It's not about feeling sorry for people. It's not just about the down and outers. I mean, take this man with the withered hand, for, for example. There's no indication that his life was miserable or unhappy. I mean, he's not a beggar. He's, he's able to worship with, with the community. His life is just not all that it could be. Jesus wants to do something about that. And, and seeing people as Jesus sees people simply means thinking about what life would be like for them and what it could be like for them if the kingdom of God were to come to them. Having seen this man with the, the withered hand, Jesus can't just walk away. He wants to do something to help the man. Not just for the man's sake, but, but for the people's sake, for those who are there in the synagogue as well. Because he wants the people to understand what, what it really meant to be God's people in the world. What, what it means for, for people who call themselves Christians to be followers of Christ. Not just keeping all the rules, not just obeying all the religious holidays, but actually following Jesus. And so, he, so Jesus asked a very provocative question. Now, now, before we get into the question, there's just something you need to know about Jesus. And, and you've probably figured this out already. You're smart people. Jesus was a troublemaker. I mean, Jesus is a troublemaker. He, he didn't have to perform the healing right then and there. I mean, he certainly could have waited another day. He certainly could have waited until, you know, sundown when there would be no controversy. Everything would have been over. This wasn't a life and death situation for, for, for this man. I mean, he'd lived this long with a withered hand. What's another few hours, right? But Jesus couldn't resist this teachable moment. There's a teachable moment here for the people who are gathered there and Jesus can't resist this. In fact, this is the only time in Scripture where we find Jesus um, doing a healing, initiating a healing without being prompted. Every other time, Jesus is prompted by someone to, to heal somebody. But here, Jesus is not prompted. Nobody asked Jesus to heal this, this man's withered hand. He just does it on his own. So he, so he asks the man to stand up in front of everybody. And then he poses a, a, a significant question to the congregation and, and to his critics. He says this. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? Jesus is challenging the Pharisees' understanding, not just of what the Sabbath is all about, but what God is all about. The, the Sabbath was God's day, so they figured that, that it ought to be about things like you know prayer and worship and keeping the rules. And not that any of those things are bad. Please don't hear, hear me say that. They're, they're not. But... But it's not just about those things, right? A, a friend of mine in ministry was telling me about a camp experience that he had uh, a couple of summers ago. The camp that his church attends, they have a mini golf course uh, on their campus, and it's one of the camp's most, uh, most uh, popular activities. On a Sunday afternoon during registration, this little girl is walking by the, the, golf, the putt-putt course with her mom, and she's just kind of wistfully looking at it. And she asks her mom, hey, why is the putt-putt course closed today? 
And her mom tells this little girl, because it's the Lord's Day. Now, the little girl didn't say anything after that. But I know what she was probably thinking. Why does God hate putt-putt, right? I mean, we can't play putt-putt on the Lord's Day? Why, why does God hate putt-putt? And the, the point of the sermon is that these people thought that they knew what God cared about. Religious things like prayer and Bible reading and worship attendance. So that's what determined what the Sabbath was supposed to be about. But Jesus wants, to, wants them to understand that the thing God really cares about more than all of those things is people. Jesus cares more about people than all of those things, about their well-being, about their wholeness, about their holiness. That's why he gave them the Sabbath in the first place. So, of course, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In fact, that's what, do, what the Sabbath was all about. There's an important lesson here for us. And it's not about what we can or can't do on Sundays, or if we want to be real technical about it, on Saturdays. It's more about what God wants from his people, about what it means to be Christian. Because it turns out that what God wants isn't just a whole lot of religious activity. He wants us to be working in the world. He wants us to care about the things that he cares about so that we can be his hands and feet to consequential strangers that we bump into every day. Doing good is one of the most Christ-like, God-honoring things that we can do, even though it may not always look religious. There's a church in New Jersey that goes by the name of Liquid Church. They believe that the church ought to be fluid rather than solid, like, like living water that flows freely into people's lives and satisf satisfies their deep thirst. A few years ago, they, they became overwhelmed by, by the, the plight of, of really thousands, millions of people living in, in other countries who didn't have clean access to or didn't have access to clean drinking water. In fact, they became very disturbed that, that thousands of, of people, mainly children, die every day because they don't have clean water. And they were pretty sure that God cared about that. And so they decided to do something about it. And one of the things that they decided to do was to cancel church on Sunday. Well, well not really cancel church exactly, but to do church differently. Instead of holding services on, on a Sunday in their church building, they decided to hold a 5K race to raise money in their town. And, and all the prof, proceeds and profits from this race would go to help building wells in Ethiopia. And they did it on a Sunday morning because they knew that that's when people from the town would be most likely to participate. They ended up with over 1,200 runners, 80% of whom were non-believers. And they raised over $250,000, which ended up saving roughly about 60,000 lives. What do you think about that? What is, what's more lawful on Sunday? To hold services or to hold a race? To be religious or to do good? Our good deeds don't have to look like what Liquid Church chose to do. The, the point of that is just simply that we need to take a fresh look at what it means to be God's people in the world. We need to ask ourselves, what is it that we as Christians want to be known for? What do we want to be known for? We need to start seeing people the way that the world sees, sees them. Excuse me. We need to see people in the world the way that Jesus sees them, not just the way that the world sees them, not even just the way that we see them, but the way Jesus sees them. And we need to start doing good for them. Even if it doesn't look super religious. Even if it's, quote-unquote, not very spiritual. There's another passage in Scripture that says, puts, puts religion and what religion is this way. It's in James chapter 1. 
It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. In other words, religion looks like doing good for those who need someone to do good for them. Let's, let's finish our, our story here in Scripture and see what true religion can do for a person. So in front of everyone, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And it was completely restored. That's Mark, Mark chapter 3, verse 5. If you notice here, Jesus never actually does any work, does he? I mean, he doesn't take the man's arm and rub the man's arm. He doesn't put any kind of lotion on it. In fact, he doesn't even touch the man. He just tells the man, stretch out your arm, stretch out your hand. And, and, and he does, and the man is healed. Remember, this wasn't a life or death situation. This man wasn't miserable or lost to the best that we can know. But Jesus saw the man. And when he sees the man, he can't resist doing good for the man. Something that, that would bless him. And, and that's really the second thing that we learn about doing good. Is doing good means seeing people as Jesus sees them and finding a way to bless them. That to see people as Jesus sees them and then find a way to bless them. And, and I'll confess to you this morning, I didn't really want to use the word bless. Bless sounds like a dusty old church word. And, and I really didn't want to use that word. But, but when you study that word, when you look at it in, in Greek and even in English, you realize really what a rich word it is. To, to bless someone means to, to confer well-being on them. It, it is to say, say or do something that improves a person's lot in life. So I'd like to blow the dust off the word bless because blessing people is something that we can all do. It's something that we can all do. Let's face it, we're not Jesus. We can't heal people when they're sick, can we? But we can bless them by bringing them over a hot meal or take them to the doctor. We, we can't bring someone's loved one back from the dead, but we can bless them with, with a listening ear and a couple of words of remembrance. We, we can't multiply loaves and fish, but, but we can bless someone with a bag of groceries or, or a dinner invitation or a gift to a relief agency. We, we can't save people or, or undo people's foolish decisions, but we can bless them in all sorts of ways if we'll just take the time to think about it and see them. There's a, a preacher named Todd Hunter. He says this is, this is creative goodness. When, when you see a person, you see their problem, and you see their potential, you, you just be creative, and, and it's creative goodness that, that allows you to bless someone. I, I would say it's just finding a way to make life easier and happier for someone to do something good for them, to, to maybe point them to God in a way that they hadn't been pointed before. When, when Jeff Henderson was, uh, the, he became the minister of the Buckhead Church in Gwinnett County, Georgia, a large, large area in the Atlanta area. Before he, he became the minister there at, at Buckhead Church, he was a, an executive for Chick-fil-A. In fact, he was the, the director of their sports marketing, one of the highest people in the Chick-fil-A organization. And when he got to, to Buckhead Church, he decided that too many people in Gwinnett County in the Atlanta area only knew what the church was against. And not what the church, more specifically what Christians were for. And, and so his church started what they called the, the hashtag for campaign. And, and at the heart of this campaign was the idea that Jesus is for people and communities and so the church ought to be too if Jesus is for you then the church ought to be for you and so so they began investing in people and in small businesses and 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 in the community not like they became financial partners although some may have but they would just show up and they would support these places they would get a list of all the grand openings of of, of new small businesses from the chamber of commerce and then when they had their grand opening they would just show up 
and they, and they would just wear these t-shirts that said hashtag for. And when people would ask them what it was about, they would just say, hey, we're for you. You're, you're a part of our community. We are for you. We, we want you to do well. We want to be for you. They, they placed these hashtag for billboards all over Gwinnett County. They created a website that talked about the heart of this campaign. They gave church members Chick-fil-A gift cards so that they could buy someone's meal either in the store or in the drive through line. And because of their close partnership with Chick-fil-A, I mean, remember, this guy was a, a top executive there. Every time that someone did this, every time somebody bought a person's meal for, for another person, they would hand the recipient of that meal a small little card that said, hashtag four. What, what they ultimately wanted to accomplish and what they did to a large degree was to let people know that Jesus was for them. And because Jesus was for them, so was the church. So were, so were people in the community. And, and it was loving their neighbors in the most practical of ways. You, you've heard me say this before, but it's worth repeating. The best way that we can love God is to love His people. If you want to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? That's the greatest commandment. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you want to love God in that way, love His people. The best way that you can love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love His people. And that means doing good. It means seeing people, not just looking at them, but seeing people and blessing people. Look, you don't have to quit your job to do good. You don't need to know your Bible inside and out to do good, although I, I would recommend it. But you don't, you don't have to. You don't have to have a lot of money to give away. You don't have to be an extrovert. All you have to do is open your eyes to the people and the situations around you. Take, take the time to see what Jesus sees and then get creative. Find a way to bless people and leave the rest to God. Here's what I want to challenge you today to do today. In your bulletin there are a couple of brightly colored index cards. All right, Some of you have been asking what these were for and I just told you to wait. right? And, and they're brightly colored because I want you to see them. Uh, they stand out, right? So, so here's what I want you to do. I just want you to carry these around with you this week. Put them in your wallet, put them in your purse, put them in your back pocket, whatever, and, and carry them around with you this week. And here's your assignment. Open your eyes to the people and the situations that, that are around you, the, the people that you encounter day to day, and write down people's names. And write down what kind of needs you see that they might have. And here's what I guarantee will, will happen for you. You'll go through your week and you'll start paying attention to, to people. You'll start noticing their names, what, what, their, what, what their needs are. And you'll, you'll start asking yourself what, what their days might be like if someone saw them the way that Jesus sees them. If, if someone from the church, if a Christian actually saw them, was for them the way that Jesus is for them. And when you start looking at people that way, what you find is that there are no ordinary people. There are no unremarkable encounters. There are no inconsequential strangers. Just people who matter to God. And because they matter to God, they have to matter to us. Let me pray for us.